3 is where we're going to land this morning. We're working our way through the Bible this year as a church. And a couple weeks ago, we went through the Psalms. And uh, not all of them, but of course, Psalm 23 is a psalm known to not just church people, but people in our culture. I'm surprised at how many times I'll do a graveside service and there'll be people there that will uh, not be engaged in a church, maybe not even walking with the Lord. But as I come to read Psalm 23, they seem to just kind of click in. It, It brings so much comfort. And I know it did for you as you read it through our Bible reading plan. And today I just want to break down a little bit uh, this psalm and help you understand and help myself understand that we are to be people of hope. This psalm is all about hope. It is about being positive. It is about being optimistic. Particularly the very last verse that is the verse I'm going to key in on that says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. I don't know how many of you receive that as a promise every morning, but we should. We should get up and say, this is the day the Lord hath made, and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. This is a wonderful psalm, and I don't want you to to just kind of tune out today's message because of the familiarity of this text. Let me tell you a little bit about this text. It was written by King David, and it was written later in his life. So when he had gray hair, his senior years, okay? So it's not about what he is hoping for. He's looking back and reflecting, and he's saying, this is how my life was as I see it. It's about how David lived his life, a life spent under the watchful care of a really good shepherd who cared for him. That shepherd is Jesus for us. He's a good shepherd. He is watching out for us. David talks about how this shepherd met his needs, gave him direction in life, gave him purpose in life, gave him courage when he needed courage and confidence when he needed confidence to face some of the hardships that David did and how his shepherd filled his life with abundance. Man, that's good stuff. And David ends the psalm with this wonderful note of triumph. He says in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and then I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And in that last verse, David emphasizes this sense of hope. And I want us to go into this summer. This is Memorial Day weekend. Official, I don't know if it's official start of summer, but that's kind of how we see the start of summer. I want us to have a sense of hope and well-being that God is with us that surely goodness and mercy will follow us. I don't know why I've never been able to understand pessimistic Christians. Those who are more like Eeyore than they are King David. You know what I'm talking about. There are Christians even today whose view of the world, their view of the future can be best summarized in three words. Ain't it awful? 
Man, it's awful what they're doing there in Washington, D.C. Ain't it awful what they're doing in our school system? Ain't it awful how the church has changed over the years? They're getting so liberal. Ain't it awful how on and on and on. You can hear them complain about the economy getting worse. Complaining how the government is out to get us. Complaining that you can't trust anybody. All these conspiracy theories. And you know, people just aren't as good as they used to be. And on and on. Well, I understand that if you don't have hope, but we have hope in Jesus Christ. He is our anchor. I really don't know where that attitude comes from if you really are connected with the Good Shepherd. If you understand Psalm 23, the Bible teaches a whole different outlook on life. Doesn't deny problems. But the Bible teaches that even if there's problems in the world, problems in the church, problems in your home, if there's struggles that you have to endure, your steps are ordered of God and God is in control and God takes care of his people. Man, that's so important for us to understand. You and I, friends, have every reason to feel great about the future. Not because you're in control, not because Joe Biden's the president, no, we have every good reason to feel good about the future because God is in control and we have a good shepherd. And friends, if God's in control, we've got hope. If God is in control, we have hope. Hope for today, hope for tomorrow, hope for our relationships, hope for our families, hope for our jobs, hope for happiness, hope for usefulness. Hope for our needs being met. Hope for our lives making a difference. Hope for spending eternity with Jesus in heaven. Hope. Hope. Man, some people, in fact, some Christians, they, they feel opposite. You know? And they'll tell you, oh, don't get your hopes up because you're going to be disappointed. Oh, don't expect, don't expect too much. You know, life is just one disappointment after another. So just get used to it. Man, that is not biblical thinking. Man, if you are a Bible-believing Christian, I want you to understand hope should be your heartbeat. It's okay to feel good about life. It's okay to feel good about your future. Oh, it might not be politically correct because a doomsdayer wants you to look at things otherwise. But friends, I've read the end of the book and our future is good because God's in control of those that he is their good shepherd. Amen. You can become just almost irreversibly hopeful if you understand the care of Jesus. King David had a lot of hardship. We're not going to recount his sins. We're not going to recount the consequences of his sins. We're not going to recount, you know, really his dysfunctional family, the betrayals. We're not going to recount that today. What I want us to focus on, I remember David wrote this kind of toward the end of his life, probably after he had gone through all that. I want us to focus on verse number six. But before we do that, let's read the whole psalm. Shall we? Why don't you stand with me? Maybe you can, maybe you can uh, recite it from memory. I'm using New King James Version today. 
which is almost as good as the old King James Version. They've just taken the, the these and thous out. And you don't get to say keepeth. You can say keepeth if you want. Okay, let's read it together. Read it out loud with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, in the next few minutes, may your Holy Spirit open up our hearts to be people of hope, knowing that you have good things in store for us, knowing that goodness and mercy shall follow us, and at the end of this journey, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You may be seated. Here's what it means to have hope. If you're taking notes, number one, you can live with a sense of certainty. If you have a sense of certainty, you will have hope. It's a pretty short psalm. A lot of us have memorized it. It's about 120 words. So every, every word's important. But I think the words of verse 6 are the most important. Notice how it starts. It says, surely, surely. Say it with me, surely. It doesn't say maybe. It's not a gamble. We're not saying if you follow Jesus as your shepherd, maybe goodness and mercy will follow you. It says, surely. Doesn't say perhaps. I don't care what translation you use, it might not say surely, but it won't say perhaps. It won't say maybe. It won't say possibly. See, those all give you just a little bit of doubt. David wanted us to accept this as a fact, a promise of God. We used to sing, every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line, I am trusting in his love divine. Every promise in the book is mine. But we don't realize Psalm 23, 6 is a promise of hope. Surely, surely, goodness and mercy are going to follow us. Man, the same idea is expressed by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. When he says, know this, be confident in this, be hopeful in this, that all things that happen in your life will work together for good. If you love me and if you trust me. Doesn't say all things will be comfortable or pleasant. We have disappointments, we have pain. We have things that happen because we live in a sinful world. We have disease. We have all sorts of things, hardships like King David did. But we can be assured that God will use all those things for our good. If we love him, if we're called according to his purpose. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, surely, <laughs> surely, 
He's saying we can live with a sense of expectation because God's in control and God's at work in our life. It's not a question of, you know, if God's going to get you through a difficult situation. Did you hear what I said? It is not a question whether or not God will get you through the situation. It's simply a question of how he's going to do it. But he will do it. He could have delivered Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. We just read about those boys in our reading plan. He could have delivered them before they had been cast into the furnace, but he didn't. But he still delivered them by sending in that fourth man. So it's not a matter of whether or not he will get you through. God is going to get you through because he's a good shepherd. It's not a question of whether he's going to bring blessings into your life. It's a matter of how he's going to bring those blessings. It's not a question of whether God will work things out for your good and your glory. It's just a question of, well, how is he going to do this? And we don't have to figure it out because he's our shepherd. He leads us. He guides us. He makes us to lie down when we need to lie down. He restores our soul. As one of God's people, I want you to remember that surely is the key word here. It's a certainty. You can live with a sense of certainty. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow you. Now, because of that, you can live with a sense of optimism. If you have certainty, you can be optimistic. Because I really don't care what happens between now and the time I take my last breath on earth, I have certainty that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I have certainty because of my faith in Jesus Christ that God will meet me and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not because of me or my performance, because it's Jesus that's my righteousness. But I have certainty. I know where I'm going. I can live with certainty, I can live with a sense of optimism. David says, surely what? Well, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. I want you to remember that, friends. There's too many of us in Christianity that have, you know, kind of adopted Murphy's Law as our mantra. It's like, well, if it's going to go wrong, it'll go wrong in my life. You know, what else can happen now? When it rains, it pours. Man, and you use that kind of confession, and pretty soon you, you just can't get any other perspectives. That's why David said, surely goodness and mercy will follow you. Goodness and mercy. You can always depend upon the goodness of God. Oh, I love that song, the goodness of God. Goodness and mercy are coming my way. I can depend on that. What's coming your way? Irritations, disappointments, sickness, poverty. You need to wake up in the morning and say, the Bible says blessings are coming my way. Surely goodness and mercy. Well, that's a promise we should be claiming. Blessings are coming my way. Opportunities are coming my way. Victory is coming my way. Power over sin is coming my way. Strong relationships are coming my way. I remember for three of the four years I was at Oral Roberts University. 
And every chapel, we had to go to chapel twice, uh, twice a week. I generally went three times a week because they offered a Sunday night chapel as well. Almost every one of those chapels, Oral Roberts himself would be there, and he would always say to you, remember, something good is going to happen to you. After a while, I thought, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, that's good theology. That is great theology. That's biblical theology. According to Psalm 23.6, something good is going to happen to you. Psalm 23 reminds me it's okay to be optimistic. It's okay. Note that David says, first, goodness will follow you. Well, how do you see goodness? What, what is goodness? Well, I think goodness comes in a couple different ways. First of all, we can't expect good things to happen to us. We can expect a windfall of blessings from time to time. And even if you go through difficult times, you can expect good things to come out of it. The Romans 8.28 principle. But there's another sense in which goodness is coming your way. It's that you and I are becoming good. It's not just about material things. See, Romans 8.28, we know what that says, but Romans 8.29 says that in all of life, God is conforming us into the image of Jesus. Oh, I want to be like Jesus. Even if that means I've got to go through his sufferings. Even if that means I'm going to go through the fire. Even if that means that God's going to allow me into situations that are painful and comfortable. But if I know that good's going to come out of it, I'm going to be refined. I'm going to come out like gold. Friends, we're becoming holy. We're becoming more like the Lord. So when you think of surely goodness is coming your way, it's okay to think of goodness as material blessings, but don't limit it to that. There's something I think even greater spiritually that's happening. Man, we're becoming more like Jesus. We're becoming better people. Book of Philippians says it very well. He who has begun a good work in you will carry it on toward completion. In other words, God's going to start something in your life and then God is going to finish what he has started in your life. He's not going to abandon you halfway through the projects. Now, you and I might have all sorts of unfinished projects out in our garage. Oh, man, we were enthusiastic. This is going to be a great project. And then our enthusiasm weans, and then weeks turn to months, and then pretty soon, years later, we think, what was that? Oh, yeah, I remember I was going to do this or do that. That's not God. God is still working on us, even if we don't realize it. Man, there are people who say, well, I don't think, Pastor, I can ever really become a holy person. Well, I want you to know it is possible for you to become a holy person. And it's not only possible, if I'm going to be true to my text this morning, it's surely, surely goodness and mercy shall follow you. So surely you are becoming good. But it's not just goodness. The second thing is mercy. Aren't you glad for the mercy of God? Mercy means that you deserve something and that was held back 
the consequence. We deserve death for our sins. But because of God's mercy, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we know that mercy has rewritten our life. But it's important because we need mercy each and every day because we're sheep. If Jesus is our shepherd, that implies that we're sheep. And sheep, as you know, are some of the stupidest animals on the face of the earth. I mean, they're stubborn. They don't learn. They do, can't take care of themselves. Sheep need a lot more care than cattle do. There's a reason that we're called sheep and Jesus is called our shepherd. We have a tendency to wander off the path. <laughs> our default is selfishness. Our default is a sinful nature. Our heart at its core is sinful. Without the righteousness of Jesus, that is our default. We need mercy. That's why Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60, we read this. In my favor, I have had mercy on you. Now, the first part of that verse says, we like sheep have gone astray. And we've turned every one of us from the way that we should be walking. And in my favor, I have had mercy on you. Praise the Lord for the mercy of God. I'm thankful for the mercy that my parents had on me. I'm thankful for the mercy that my wife gives to me. Man, think about that, parents. You know how many times you've had to go behind your children, pick up after them, get them out of one situation, help them through another one. And that's exactly what our Heavenly Father does with us. He understands the process of growing up and the process of becoming good is a never-ending process. We need his mercy. Whether we've served God for two weeks, for 20 years, we need God's mercy. And when we need it, it's always there because the Bible tells us that surely goodness and mercy will follow us. That's why in Hebrews we can read in, in chapter 4, it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? That we might obtain, what's the word? Mercy. And find grace to help in time of need. So living in hope, a sense of certainty, and a sense of optimism about yourself, about your life, about your future means that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, surely good things are coming your way, mercy is coming your way. And finally, point number three, because of the certainty and the optimism, the third thing I want to leave with you is that you can live with a sense of favor. Favor. You know what it feels like when you find somebody's favor? Well, it says here, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Think about that. It follows you. You can't get rid of your shadow. You know, if you're walking toward the sun, David is saying it's like having a shadow. That shadow is the blessing of God. It is following you. Wherever you go, it goes. Isn't that cool? 
Whether you go to work, you can be sure God's favor is following you. If you spend time with your family, you can be sure that God's favor is following you. When you reach out to others who have need and help them, you can be sure God's favor is following you. When you give financially or with your time or with your talent, you can be sure God's favor is following you. That's the favor of God. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you victory. Nothing's going to stand in your way. You've got my favor. It's following. There it is. See, it's right there. It's behind me. If I'm aligned with God, if I'm living by his principles, his favor will follow me. Now, friends, I'm not talking about some arrogant sense of entitlement. You know, that's where this type of message has sometimes kind of gone into the ditch because it turns out to be this entitlement thing where, you know, we shake our hands at God and say, we're entitled to this. <laughs> and I'm not entitled to anything. I don't deserve anything. Everything I have is God's grace and mercy, his blessing. I'm not talking about some kind of arrogant sense of entitlement. God does not give you favor because he loves you more than he loves anybody else. He gives you favor because you have chosen to love him more than anything else. Now, that's worth repeating. That's more than a one amen statement. I just want you to know that. I worked hard on that statement. I'm going to say it again. God does not give you favor because he loves you more than anyone else. He gives you favor because you have made the choice to love him more than anything else. Yeah. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to love you unconditionally. Help us, Lord, to be totally surrendered to you that we might have your favor. Just take a moment right now. Close your eyes. Just take a moment. Surrender yourself to God. If you want the favor of God, you need to put God first in your life. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're here. You've never committed your life to Jesus. That's the first step. If you want the favor of God, Jesus has to be number one in your life. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't play around and be half in the church and half in the world. You've got to be totally committed to God. I encourage you to do that. Jesus, we commit ourselves 100% to you. We choose to put you first. Amen. Amen. He'll give you favor if you allow him to be your shepherd. If you've identified as one of his sheep. If you belong to Jesus, favor rests on you. For how long? All the days of our life. Isn't that what the word says? Look at it again. All the days of your life. Whether you live to be 17, whether you live to be 42, whether you live to be 96, it doesn't matter. All the days of your life. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. His favor rests on you. And then, as I said, it even gets better. It's wonderful to walk in the favor of God, but nothing's going to even begin to compare 
to dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. To be with him. To see him face to face. To actually see those mansions and those streets of gold. To be reunited with our friends and our loved ones. Forever in the presence of God. No sin, no sickness, no tears. You know, a lot of people only interpret this as heaven. And it does mean heaven in one sense. But in another sense, you can start living in favor today. Live in the favor of God as a chosen son or daughter. You don't have to wait to get to heaven to get the favor. You give your heart to Jesus now and you receive the favor. And it lasts through all of eternity. Now, I've been using this word hope a lot in the scripture today or in the sermon today. But I want you to think of hope as expectation. And that's why I actually titled the sermon Expectation. I was going to title something about hope. But no, I want you to expect what I've taught you out of the word today. I don't want you to hope for it. I want you to expect it. Expectations. Hope can be defined as expectations. You can live in expectation of a good life, a good future, a blessed eternity. Why? Because we have a loving, gentle shepherd who watches over us. I'm going to read it again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This week, every morning when you wake up, I want you to think of three good, merciful things that have come your way. Or maybe you can do it in the evening as part of your evening reflection. Think about three good things that have happened to you that day. Maybe an unexpected blessing. <laughs> maybe you experienced victory in an area of your life that you've been defeated in in the past. Maybe you fell down, but you asked God to forgive you, and he graciously picked you up and, and got you back on your feet before it was too late. But I'd encourage you every day this week to think of three good and merciful things that have happened to you and realize it's because you have such a good shepherd. As our worship team comes back out, I want to read out of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. The book of Isaiah says, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. And shall gently lead those who are with young. The Lord's your shepherd. And if you're one of his sheep today, if you put yourself in his care, your life <laughs> will be, not hopefully, 
Not maybe, but your life will be filled with goodness and mercy. Amen. Let's stand together. Would you raise your hands toward the Lord?